Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer, and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher. I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster, and Instagram influencer, and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about a future. So, welcome to episode four of The Procrastinators. Tonight, we don't actually have a guest, so um, you're just going to have to listen to us, and hopefully I will be entertaining um, a funny, insightful, and forthright enough to make up for the lack of guest. And if I'm not, if I don't manage that, then, you know, Darren might be able to step in there possibly as well. There's a great deal of unlikeliness on both counts, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, I might be full of shit. <laughs> well, we're just going to have to get dirt, deep down dirty and argue on some stuff, I think. That's right. Yes, we've been told we need more, more antagonism. Yeah. I'm ready for that today. I've had a bad day, so I'm ready to be antagonistic. Me, me too. I've had a glass of wine. Um, always a mistake. Uh, red wine, especially, gets the blood up. Um, and I happened to see a, a weird news story this week about how um, some poor bar in Brisbane that had put loads of mannequin heads um, on the tables around the bar to kind of make it feel like there was actually people there they got reported to the police for um social gathering an unlawful social gathering and um it just made me think like first of all you've got this really creepy scene of all these mannequin heads and i don't know if you've seen the uh pictures darren but um they've all got curly wigs on as well sort of blonde and psychedelic colors and stuff um just dotted around this empty pub and it looks creepy as and um there's that and then the other side of it is how bad have we got as a kind of net curtain stasi society um through the lockdown where people are grassing people up for unlawful social gatherings when it's like mannequin heads in pubs i mean i don't know about you but the other day some of my neighbors had a had a children's birthday party and they had it all day saturday and all day sunday and there was definitely bubble bursting going on and there was no physical distancing in their little house and garden. But I was like, oh, well, I was mildly irritated by it. The idea of actually ringing the police or notifying them when we're this far into the lockdown, we've got this few cases. I was just like, nah, let them have their fun. They've been good until now. It's like, you can make an argument that they should have kept it up for another week or two. God, like, you know, how much effort is it? But I thought to myself, no, it's fine. I'll just rise above it, ignore it, let them have their fun. Hopefully none of them will catch uh, COVID-19 and die. I, I think the real reason you didn't report them is because they invited you around to hit the piñata. If they had had a piñata, I would have done it. They could have invited you around and used you as the piñata. If they had done that, that's about the only thing. I think that's it. I like to think that's the only thing I would actually grasp people up to the police for <laughs> is physical violence. I'm not sure in your socialist state that you would have called the police anyway, would they? 
Well, that is why I mentioned Netcut and Stasi. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of East Germany. And, um, you know, the idea of sitting in my room, tape recording people. Actually, I'm sitting in my little room recording recording. right now. <laughs> oh, it's just the technology that's different. Yeah, no, but it's, uh, it definitely, the story got me thinking. It's like, God, you know, imagine if you were doing a teddy bear challenge and you didn't have any teddy bears, so you stuck like a few dolls in the window and people reported you for having a social gathering. Yeah, that'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it? It'd be like next door neighbour is like, they've just got heaps of Paddington bears around their house. We need someone to go around and stop it. They've got a menagerie. Of actual Paddington bears? Just Paddington bears sat in the window and look, I don't know what's going on, but I've only seen Paddington too, but there seems to be 10 of them. Well, you know, talking on that subject, I um, I actually met a spectacle bear, a Peruvian, uh, an Andean spectacle bear, which had actually um, been brought up in a in an apartment, which was the last apartment that Che Guevara lived in. And um, yeah, that was actually stuck there looking out the window, feeling sad every day until it finally got rescued by animal rights people and brought to this animal sanctuary in Bolivia. I don't know which part of that story is the most concerning or the most weird. Yeah, I might edit that story. <laughs> I'm not really, not really sure kind of like the most disturbing and weird story ever that there was a, a a bear living in Che Guevara's apartment. It's the most weird story ever. I think you should leave it in because actually I think it's just a weird story. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to meet it. And it was what? it was the same species of bear as Paddington bear. It was a spectacle bear. But you have to leave that in. Not everybody gets to meet Paddington. No, especially, well, it's Paddington's communist uncle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this week, um, I mean, the one thing about that, actually, you say that it's mannequins with just long, curly, blonde, permed hair. That's pretty much what everybody in Brisbane looks like anyway. So I'm not convinced that it was mannequins. It could have just been Queenslanders. That's true. Well, there were, I didn't see any mullets <laughs> or stubbies. Did you see anyone that looked like Pauline Hanson? Actually, yeah. A few of the female mannequin heads did look like Pauline Hanson. Just their makeup was better. <laughs> Couldn't get much worse. <laughs> yeah, so this week I've seen some weird stuff. I mean, obviously, number one, for those that watch the world news, um, Boris Johnson's COVID speech was the most confusing thing known to man. Um you can go to work, but you can't go on public transport. So in other words, you can go to see people, but you can't travel with people. You can't. You can go out, but you can't go out. It was, yeah, we think we've got a problem over here with confused messaging. I don't know what anybody in the UK is doing at the moment. I, I don't think anybody knows where they're at. Um, but one story I did pick up from the UK this week, which I thought was quite interesting, is they've actually announced which of their most important events will not be happening in May. So I thought I'd like to run through a few of those just to kind of get people uh, wondering why on earth the British Empire ever used to rule the world when this was their highlights of May. So first up, not happening in May in the UK is the Worm Charming Championships. Oh, my God. I am genuinely um, not concerned or interested. Oh, you need to be. I mean, <laughs> this is news, right? Um, cheese rolling. Oh, no, that is a shame. Cheese rolling is not happening. So you have to be all over cheese rolling. That is a real shame, actually, because that was a common meme that people were posting, wasn't it, at the start of lockdown, 
saying, as soon as I get that out of lockdown, this is going to be me with like a whole army of people running down a hill. Running down a hill towards yeah. a pub. Um, the only time I would ever use a lawnmower, lawnmower racing, that is not happening. Uh, Maypole. Now, I should imagine you used to do the Maypole back in England. No. Yes. Um, I, might, I may have. I might be lying there. It's, so <laughs> it's one of those really embarrassing childhood memories, and I can never remember what, which hand was my left and right. I couldn't do the crossing over of hands and stuff. And uh, no right. foreigner listening to this is going to know what on earth I'm talking about. They will go and Google it, though, and they will form a very quick impression of you really fast with little jingly, jingly bells on your wrist. First bit of footage that will come up will be from um, the Wicker Man. Yes. <laughs> The World Custard Pie Championships are not happening. Yep, nothing to say on that. Carry on. Um, World Egg Throwing Championships. I just thought that was rugby. That's ironic, given that um, Boris has definitely got egg on his face. <laughs> he has a, a large amount as well. And um, I think that's probably about it. I'm scurrilous. The May Day dip, I have no idea what that is. Oh, dear. I don't yeah, know what it is. Um, students who um, go plunging themselves into the cold water. Oh, okay. That's tamer, tamer than I thought it might be. No, I think they're naked. I think it's back to last week's subject of mushroom hunting in winter. You know, I'm, I'm being somebody from a, from a um, fifth, fifth richest country in the world originally, um, probably still the sixth or something, seventh, um, the UK. I am used to, and and being somebody who's worked with and known many refugees and uh, migrants and stuff that I've, you know, been supporting to stay in the country they're trying to stay in. I am not used to being the person who has people coming up to them saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, how awful it must be for your family. What are things like in your home country? <laughs> it is actually like living in a civil war, coming from a civil war-torn sort of province of the Democratic Republic of Congo at the moment. You know, the Johnson, nobody knows what the Johnson regime are going to do next. No, and I think that's the scariest part. Um, I think the scarier part, and I think you know my political allegiance from the UK, uh, and even I have concerns for what's going on in that party. And I've, I've had concerns about what's going on in that party for two to three years. Um, there's a very incredibly sinister undertone to that party at the moment. Yeah, well, the cynic in me thinks that the confused messaging is deliberate, that they can absolve themselves of blame for the deaths, because it's very, what is clear with the messaging, they're saying it's your responsibility as an individual to stay alert, as if, like, COVID molecules are muggers, and, you know, just don't wear your headphones, um, don't put your hood up, keep your eyes out everywhere you go, make sure you, when you're getting off a bus, you're with a friend, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, I sense they're preparing the ground for victim, serious victim blaming. I look and I think it's already started. What I noticed last week on the story is that the news was going that Britain has the worst COVID, COVID um, fatalities in Europe. And within 24 hours, the BBC was reporting that Italy has the worst fatalities in the EU. So they'd completely turned the mess and made it about the EU and not about Europe. And there's even doubts about, I see there's even doubts about, um, is it 30,000 deaths? Is it 55,000 deaths? You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Piers Morgan, but I don't know if you saw the clip of him interviewing yeah. the ha hapless uh, minister. But um, yeah, I mean, he made some very good points there. They've only just started quarantining people who are flying in from overseas. 
No, it's utterly frightening. Uh, you've got a feeling that the UK is in this for the long haul now. There's no doubt about it. I think them and America, um, when you look at the leaderships of those two countries, there's absolutely no coincidence that they are performing appallingly at managing this problem. Mm, they've got no idea. No, and no care. There's no empathy there at all. You know, there's no empathy whatsoever. And I don't actually think, you know, there's, you read on Facebook or left book, you read, um, you know, the bubble, you kind of read um, people saying, oh, it's a conspiracy. They're deliberately doing it. They're trying to kill off thousands of people. So no, I don't think they're trying to do that. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, wouldn't make any economic sense to them. But I, I do think that they just don't know how to handle it. And um, I think they're trying to shift the blame. I think both countries are fiercely paranoid about China. And I think that they are both trying to get their countries back up and running economically as quick because I think they fear that if China gets a four-month leap on them, effectively they have no manufacturing capability left then. But unfortunately, they're willing to sacrifice tens of thousands of people to do it. It's a bit hard finding anything funny to say about this. I mean, there has been, <laughs> there has been some funny stuff. For instance, um, I think it was summed up best. The sort of the British government's response was summed up best by the um, sign that was put up on the roundabout, where um, it said had the arrows going in the opposite direction to how you were meant to go around <laughs> the roundabout, saying, uh, you know, stay alert, stay safe, stay on course, or whatever it was. And it's just like yes. I think that summed it up ideally that they just have no idea. The messaging is fucked, and um, you know, God knows, God knows how they sleep at night. Yeah, I mean, it's only in the last couple of days that Johnson's actually started to acknowledge that it's actually embarrassing where they're at and where they've come from. So you're right, there's nothing funny to say about it because it's actually it's actually criminal what's going on in those two countries. Uh, just appalling, clueless, um, emotionless leadership that really has no idea. It, it's trying to, both of them are trying to use the stiff British upper lip. Ah, there's nothing to see here. It's all a bit of a myth. It's just like the flow. That, that's the attitude. And um, I think we've seen around the world that that's actually not the case. Yeah. On happier news, what have you been doing this week? Well, um, plenty, actually. Um, lots of work. I, I, I unfortunately still have to hold down a full-time job um, because I can't make entertaining people pay. Uh, it's probably probably an underlying message in that. Yeah, well, I think listeners to this podcast would not express surprise um, that either of us fail to make a living out of comedy. <laughs> Quick stand-up comedy comeback soon. Um, we might uh, we might be able to do something different when it does. Um, on the weekend, um, as you know, uh, Matt, I've been doing a series of um, live stream stand-up comedy gigs uh, from my lounge. And uh, this weekend, I did my last one for a while. Um, it was a 40-minute set of uh, just the best sort of stand-up that I think I've written in the last um, six weeks. So maybe if people go to my Facebook page, they can probably judge me better than that um, on whether it was any good or not. But it was great fun doing it and, um, you know, getting feedback and just being able to do something just to take people's mind off what's going on in the world. But um on top of a full-time job and us obviously putting the podcast together, um, it was starting to become incredibly difficult to try and write 20 to 30 minutes of um, new material every single week. So um, this was the last one for the time being. And also, of course, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, 
Um, as we'll cover later in the show, hopefully we're all going to be back out doing live comedy. So we won't be standing in our lounge trying to do 20 minutes. We'll be doing six-minute sets and stuff like that. Um, I've been doing a bit of sketch writing um, badly because I haven't been finishing it. And um, last night um, we um, I attended a Q&A with Brendan Lovegrove via uh, the comedy school with Neil, who was our guest last week. Um, it was just a fantastic hour and a half listening to who I think is New Zealand's best comedian. Um, just an absolute pleasure to listen to. He is. Um, he definitely is one of the top one of the top sort of two or three. Um, no question, old Brendan, and um, definitely a joy to listen to. Anyway, even when he's just talking about normal stuff, there's just something about his voice and the way he talks that's just very listenable. Yeah, and I think despite the fact that, you know, he's done TV, he's appeared in the UK on TV, you know, he's appeared alongside some big stars around the world. You know, he was talking about some stuff he was doing in Singapore and stuff. He's still such a down-to-earth guy, which actually is quite hard to do. Um, but he's just, he's still got um, a huge amount of authenticity about him, which is what I really like. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, haven't seen the state of his flat. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not surprised he's a down to earth guy, uh, but no. In all seriousness, um, he was a very interesting person. Lots of interesting stories. I felt felt a bit bad because I couldn't think of any interesting questions to ask him. But uh, you know, it was um, it was a really good hour and a half. It didn't feel like an hour and a half. It felt like forty minutes or something. It was so quick. And um, I. I would definitely recommend to anyone who wants to be a stand-up comic or is a stand-up comic who didn't attend is to um, do attend future sessions like that put on by the New Zealand Comedy School because they're always really interesting. I totally agree. In the last um, three to four weeks, um, Neil um, has been outstanding. He's had Justine Smith. He's had Jeremy Elwood, Michelle Accord, Brendan Lovegrove. I mean... Your chance as a new stand-up comic to have an hour and a half. Now, it's not a one-on-one, of course, but to have an hour and a half listening to, you know, some of the best TV and stand-up comics and comedy writers in the industry, when we get back to live comedy, you're just not going to get that opportunity because people are going to obviously be back out working and and doing gigs and stuff. So I, I totally agree. Whilst they're out there, people sign up to the NZ Comedy School Facebook page and um, and get onto those because um, for such a small donation to get air, to get the time to listen to those guys um, and and uh, you know the way they do things, uh, the way that they set themselves up, and they all do it differently, which just shows there's no single answer to be successful. They they've all been excellent to listen to. It's been, it's been fair to say. Yeah, 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 definitely. I wish I had been able to get some of the others. So for you, what have you been doing in the last week? Well, thank you for asking, Darren. It's um, it's uh, good that you're talking about writing because um, we've talked about this already on, on this podcast about um, jealousy, not just of me, but several um, comedy people towards you and your ability to churn out, you know, um, okay content um, during this... <laughs> pe- <laughs> during this... Uh, I'm just going back to that antagonism thing we talked about at the you beginning. Spiteful, you spiteful bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, churning out content, um, whether good or not, um, during this period when so many of us are struggling to to produce any, and you do, you've been doing 20 minutes a week plus, which is pretty impressive. 
but actually this has been the first week in ages and i do credit some of it talking to neil uh, last week um that i've been able to actually bang out some jokes whether they're any good or not i don't know yet but um definitely get some jokes written um get loads of ideas like half ideas for jokes which i've written down and are just waiting to be finished off like waiting for the right moment of inspiration and um i've actually done a bit of fleshing out of a, of a sitcom idea that i've had for a while which um i got encouraged to uh to kind of get a bit further along with because i've been seeing so many audio dramas come out and it got me thinking that actually given that physical distancing might carry on for a while uh it's gonna be really weird recording normal sort of tv um but actually you know maybe i could do it as an audio kind of comedy or audio drama type format so i don't know so i've been playing around with that idea as well that all sounds pretty exciting stuff uh, how are you feeling about getting back into joke writing well i'm now um and this may be a good seg- segue into the move to level two um because i am just chomping I don't, i'm sure it's the same for you but i am genuinely chomping out the bit to get back on stage and do some jokes and actually have a crowd laugh um which you know does happen occasionally when i do that <laughs> yeah i just uh I, as far as i'm concerned for purely selfish reasons if nothing else the move to level two is the right thing because i want to get back out there on on stage and obviously you know they are staggering the opening of bars and um i was just discussing that with my partner earlier and we were saying about how you know that probably realistically is probably a good thing because we know that physical distancing guidelines um which are down to a meter now as magically the amount of distance the COVID virus can travel reduces week by week. Um, realistically, no one's going to maintain that physical distancing in bars and it's unenforceable. So good idea to go to level two, have a bit of a pause, just see what happens with the new cases uh, and then open the bars a bit later, which is only a week away. How, how about you? You looking forward to getting up on stage? Oh, look, yeah. I mean, I think there'll be some nervousness the first time as ever, you know, when you don't do something for a while. I think I typed on the Raw Comedy Facebook page tonight. The first person that gets on every stage opening for every comedy venue, if they don't spontaneously combust with excitement, it'll be massively disappointing, right? Because um, the excitement of being back out there. And I think what made my last um, comedy lounge session so so good is that whilst i only had my family in the room there was a massive interaction during the thing it kind of reminded me of what it was like to be on stage and i um, somebody actually sent me a note afterwards and went you just look totally relaxed and you just look totally in your element with people just throwing stuff at you compared to previous weeks when you're kind of doing it to basically into a phone so um, I'm totally looking forward to getting back out there. Um, the thing is, so is going to be about another thousand comics. So trying to get some stage time is going to be a bit premium. So when no, you get, no, I it, don't know. You keep saying this. I do keep saying let's this. Have a, let's have tough. an argument about this, right? Because I think let's you're wrong. Let's do it. Go. Let's do it. Let's draw our draw our lines on the sand, and um, or we'll use a bit of chalk on your carpet. In my case. <laughs> <laughs> and um and let's cross those lines you've said this before and so have other people as well and i don't think there's going to be it's going to be any harder to get a slot or easier than it was before other than we may sadly see some venues have got a bit in the dust you know if that's happened 
then absolutely things will be a bit tougher at first. But otherwise, I think people will be so keen to just put stuff on, to um, to do to see people, to go out. I think there'll be more opportunities, if anything. Look, I think you're right. I think audiences are going to be amazing. I think audiences, having sat at home, interacted with their work colleagues, Zoom called their friends to get back out and enjoy something, you know, um, that is going to be such a distraction. I think audiences are going to be baying for stuff like comedy. I think for comedians, because everybody's been locked up, and I know we have already discussed the fact that people haven't written a lot of material. People are going to be desperate to get back in stage time. Um, I think there are going to be venues that could potentially struggle to open because of physical distancing. Um, there's a wonderful venue at Garnet Station, and I've been lucky enough to do there once, but it's such a small little room. It would be so hard to open that with a metre distance, and you'd only get about 16 people in there. Ding Dong, you know, the Dead Witch at Ding Dong, you know that as well as I do. We've both performed there. Again, it's quite an intimate venue. You might get 20 people in there if you did distancing. Uh, so you've either got to ignore distancing or, you know, we've got to understand that some venues are going to be slower to get going than others. But I do think, um, or do I think? You look at places like the Classic, the Classic still has the Raw Quest to go. So, of course, Monday nights, which are normally your Raw night where your newer comedians like us get on, of course, if um, if that continues with the Raw Quest, for the next six to eight weeks, that's going to be out of action because people are going to be finishing off the Raw Quest. So um, places like Tabac only have eight on a night. You know, other venues only have ten, like the Red Bar. There's something like 800 stand-up comedians in Auckland and there could potentially only be two to three venues. So I'll place a bet that it will be really difficult to get a spot in the first month. Yeah, okay. I think based on venue capacity and number of venues open, I I, I definitely agree, um, which is why I was hedging my bets on that one. But I know in the past you've... and So maybe I was thinking you were hinting at what you've hinted at before like when talking to Neil last week about how there's going to be competition with the more established. Yeah, I still believe that. I still believe that, yeah. I think as venues buy for audience numbers, you know, and even some of the most established comedy venues have, have really struggled to get through the lockdown. You, you, you need numbers, you need bums on seats, you need people buying drinks, so therefore you need the best acts. I think it will all even out. And I do think as well, there will be people who have had such a break that they actually aren't ready to go back straight away. I don't think everyone will be jumping out in a bit. And I also think we'll see new venues emerge because I think there'll be people so desperate to perform, they'll put on their own open mics. Look, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see a few extra open up, you know, in and around the place. There were starting to be some open up. Um, I think there was a sports bar out in West Auckland by Point Shepherd started to do some open mics. I know uh, Julia Clement is looking to open another open mic night as well. So that'll be pretty cool if she gets that going. So, you know, you're right. There could be some additional venues, but there's a lot of comedians to go around. So um, they can't, you know, we're going to need more than a monthly Monday or a bi-weekly Wednesday or something like that. You, you could turn out to be right about um, not everybody's ready to come out the gate, but I think there's going to be some fierce competition for slots. I think <clears throat> I think there's always been fierce competition for slots. 
and um although i must admit i didn't realize there were 800 stand-ups in auckland that um that puts it a bit more into perspective i would have said about 300 um but uh 800 is uh <laughs> I, I mean i don't know whether i'm grossly exaggerating but um quite a lot well yes, I don't know. Have, you count, have you counted them darren have you counted them not 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 like exact numbers i, I was kind of going to the nearest thousand <laughs> mm. <laughs> You sound starting to sound a bit like Boris Johnson now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, anyway, so the move to level two, is it the right move? Well, actually, I want to take you back a question. Yes, Here, feel uh, free. Which one of us is going to get the first slot? Uh, probably you. Oh, fuck. That's not going to happen. You're more, uh, you're more, uh, you're, you're quicker on the button. You're quicker on the keen button. <laughs> Well, I think um, they'll, they'll probably go and support their friends like you. I'll, 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 you'll probably get one within a week by not caring, and I'll probably get one after about a year by caring. Too much. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've got to go in with a positive mindset. If you go in there thinking negatively, thinking they're going to choose all the famous ones first and everything. Oh! <laughs> yeah, big fan of positive thinking. I'm like Noel Edmonds, me. <laughs> what, you wear atrocious jumpers? Yep, that as well. <laughs> and uh, I, I indulge in cosmic ordering. Wonderful. Which, uh, no, I don't really, but um, interesting philosophy. I recommend any people who have ever watched The Deal. Is it called The Deal? Deal or No Deal? Deal or No Deal? What's, that's it. Deal or No Deal. Deal or No Deal. So just so I can edit. So anyone who's watched um, Deal or No Deal from the UK, presented by Noel Edmonds, will f- soon realise, if they do a bit of Googling, that that is actually an insight into his actual religious and spiritual beliefs, deal or no deal. And I'm being serious. Man, you're going all David Icke on me. Hmm. <laughs> I'd throw that one in there. Don't know why it occurred to me. <laughs> Don't know why I went on a Noel Edmonds tangent, but I'm going to leave it in. Yeah, we'll just drop the mic on that one and leave it straight there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll talk about esoteric beliefs of celebrities next time. The move to level... No, hang on. What was I answering? I have no idea. Uh, you went off onto some cosmic shopping. <laughs> <laughs> completely, uh, sorry, completely derailed that one. So, Darren, the move to level two, was it the right move? <laughs> um, yes, but not now. So, um, at the earliest, I personally think we should have moved to level two from Monday um, because I think really level two from tomorrow as we sit here recording we are two and a half hours away from level two and um, it's really a hollow gesture and the reason it's a hollow gesture is that schools cannot reopen till monday so there's still probably hundreds of thousands of parents that actually can't return to work anyway so whether it was planned that way of like oh look at me opening up the country but actually i'm not because i know you can't go to work because you've still got your kids at home for those that do have kids at home so um Look, I think the problem for me all along with this is I'm not really sure the government actually knows what it's trying to achieve. Um, I think it's very confused in the way that it's handling things. It's gone from a message of eradication to a message of, well, nearly is good enough. You know, if we've got 80 cases and we're so, and 10 are getting better every day, should we have just waited two weeks until we got to zero? 
I'm, I'm very confused by the messaging. I'm definitely not confused by the messaging. I think it's really clear. But whether that's the messaging is an accurate reflection of the intention is another matter. I'm, I'm certainly not unsympathetic to the idea that we should have waited till Monday. That was kind of what I was expecting myself, um, that there may be advice to, to leave it till Monday. But my theory is, and it's just a theory, is that they kind of knew, like you were saying, that actually most people wouldn't, in effect, be able to put level two into practice until the weekend. Um, and they just wanted to deliberately stagger it a bit. And it goes back to the same thinking around, yeah, it's level two, but actually it's not level two for everyone. So bars and venues and so on have got to wait an extra week. And I think it's actually part of my my gut reaction is it's part of a deliberate strategy to ease us back in and um and, and see whether the if the number of cases starts to slowly increase again which it doesn't seem to be doing so far if it does start to as, as a result of level two which you know i appreciate there's an argument you should be waiting 14 days or even longer to see that but actually i think you, you will see start to see a climb in cases straight away if if it's not been confined to those clusters we already know about um i i think it's a deliberate rather than confused strategy and i also think that the reason why they've gone as early as they've done and again yeah in an ideal world i think maybe could have left it a little bit longer i do think we can't underestimate the tremendous pressure the government are under to open up earlier in fact and and um the way some of those big employers have been pressuring them to open up earlier so they can start manufacturing again the way that some of the you know the tourism and hospitality industry will be absolutely crying out for action to be taken to help them and, you know, I, I went on booking.com last night and actually booked a, uh, a couple of nights away in, in um, somewhere. Um, I can't say in case the person listening who I'm going with, um, I, unless I give it away, in case I give it away because it's a surprise, but <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. And um, the deals the deals available were, were pretty pretty good um, because you can tell those um, those operators are so desperate to get just anyone in through the door. And it just feels like there was kind of a real growing sense of pressure on the one hand um, from people who just need to start earning money again. Uh, and on the other hand, people were just starting to break it anyway. So it's kind of making that calculated decision to, to, to go when we did so that we can, we can say that as a country, everyone was great and really well behaved, but also because it's been timed quite cleverly to fit in with people's natural inclination to comply with what are pretty draconian lockdown rules. Yeah, look, I I was immensely disappointed to see some photos of the weekend of places like Mission Bay with literally thousands of people and absolutely no social distancing. Um, I know Ashley Bloomfield was on the TV the other day and he was going, oh, no, people are behaving. They aren't, right? They're just not. You don't have hundreds of um, prosecution orders against people if people are behaving. Um, so I think you're right. The government was in a difficult situation. I think the government was always in a difficult situation from when they locked the country down because it's very easy to lock something down. It is incredibly hard to open it back up. And I think they backed themselves into a corner by doing the lockdown. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they did the wrong thing. Um, I think everybody knew that the economy was going to be destroyed um, the minute they did it. What I don't want to see from the government is the next six months harping on about how bad the economy is when they were effectively the ones that shut it down. They've got to understand that when they make that decision, they've got to take the good and bad that comes from that decision. So you can take the plaudits that you've 
killed the virus or nearly killed the virus, you can't then bemoan the fact that the economy is in a bit of a nasty state at the moment. Um, so you've got to just get on and fix it. Uh, and that's where tomorrow is going to be Im immensely important uh, because they can actually show, show some genuine intent tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And I suspect we are going to see a, um, a budget to rebuild the economy. It might not be one that everyone thinks will be effective, but I, I suspect it's going to be. That's what it'll all be about. Will be about addressing that issue um, because it's not like they've. It's been treated as a secret um, since the beginning. Everyone's known it's going to be huge economic impact. But yeah, it's it's a very difficult. Um, it's kind of very difficult to second guess a um, a government that seems to have been effective in the in the handling of um, COVID. And I really think that the kind of intelligent analysis and commentary won't actually start to appear for at least another six months um, when people will be able to look back on a longer frame of reference and um, say exactly, uh, you know, I mean, my personal view is it's been been really successful, but we won't really know um, for quite some time. I mean, it's really interesting. I was reading that stuff that the Swedish, I think he was a professor or something, was talking about where he talked about actually New Zealand have got to face this problem at some point. If they want to do economic, uh, global economic trading, if they want to open up to tourism, the, the common thought is that COVID's going to be with us for two years. So are we actually going to stop international flights for two years? Have we got to eventually give in to the fact that if we don't develop herd immunity, we're never going to be rid of this thing, actually? Yeah, but that's assuming you can develop herd immunity against a virus um, that can mutate as quickly as this one. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware we're straying into the realm of armchair expertitis here um given that neither of us are medical professionals so um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna challenge that statement by the swedish professor anymore because i've i've no idea <laughs> um but do we think there's going to be a, i mean all this talk if we've uh, if we're going a little bit too early is there going to be a second wave i think every country so far i mean look we we read the weekend about south korea one guy now whether it was intentional or whether it was pure accidental i don't think that's been proven out but one guy went to five nightclubs in one evening and so far there are 40 positive cases there are 1500 tests awaiting and effectively south korea's bars and restaurant industry has been closed down again can the new zealand economy afford to go back to level four i think is the bigger question that's a really um kind of worrying scenario and um certainly there's no evidence to say that that can't happen here i've got no reason to, we've got no reason to believe it can't happen here as well uh, and certainly i'm sure we've all had drunken nights out I, I guess i'm guessing the guy was in his early 20s where it's not unusual to go to five nightclubs in a row that's yeah. not a bizarre bit of behavior um <laughs> so uh so yeah, no, that's uh, it is quite worrying, and especially as South Korea is one of those countries that were doing so well, the same as us. And yeah. um, I mean, we could talk all night about potential, um, you know, how ec international travel could work in in a world of um, pandemic in lots of countries, but then a few few that are, are sort of outside of it. And there has been talk about potential for a sort of um, South Pacific Trans Tasman bubble, um, with extending it to South Korea and Taiwan as other big countries and big economies that have actually seemed to have dealt with it really well but yeah all of that kind of stuff would be fraught with danger once you start opening up to other countries that will then have their own trade and links with yeah other countries not just the bubble it's the chain well, i was going to say that what's your view on a trans-tasman bubble 
I think if we can, I think it's a good idea if we can do it. But you know, is, is Australia going to get it under control as well? They're a much bigger country. I think you have a problem with this, right? It's a bit like the euro. When the euro came around, I don't know whether it was just me. I always thought it was doomed to failure because not everybody's playing to the same rules. You know, exactly. You don't, you don't have similar economies. You don't have similar populations. You don't have similar similar economic drivers. You know, one country like Germany, for instance, is manufacturing. A country like Greece is tourism. You know, you have different welfare systems, different employment levels. The problem with a trans-Tasman bubble is both countries have to play to the same rules 100% of the time. And the minute that one of them wants to step out of that rule, then you have to break it with immediate effect. So, for instance, if Australia go, no, actually, we would like tourists to come from China, then New Zealand has to stop the trans-Tasman bubble with immediate effect unless it's willing to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there at all. No, it's, uh, there's, there's no easy answers and there's no easy way out of what we've got into. But I'm, I'm quite liking being in the minimum, sort of minimal deaths <laughs> zone of dealing with it personally. Look, I, I totally agree. Um, the case is obviously zero again today is a phenomenal outcome. We're now down to something like 70 or 75, what we know of, active cases. But as we've seen, it only takes one person not to play by the rules. And in two weeks, that can become another 1,500 very easily. So New Zealanders have got to be responsible. And if they're not, then it's a really poor reflection. Um, if we cannot be responsible for a couple of weeks, um, it's, it's a poor show on our side, given where we've got to. And I think that's the biggest risk for the government opening up level two now, is they've done all this hard work. They've put businesses out of business, people out of work. Why would you stop now? at 70 the damage is done economically you know there is some you know there's some merit to the fact that the longer you leave it closed the worse it gets but economically a lot of damage has been done would another two weeks completely destroy the country if you could get it down to five active cases for instance food for thought um obviously a lot of the documents that were involved or quite a lot of documents involved in all the discussions within government uh, about the handling of the crisis have got been leaked <laughs> Jacinda has um, advised ministers not to comment on leaked documents. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, look, uh, uh, yeah, this, this, this party seems to do security really badly, right? Leaked documents around the management of coronavirus. Accusations that the National Party hacked into their website when actually somebody just guessed the password. You know, this, this government doesn't do security very well at all. Look, there's a, there's a discussion where you could say, well, you, what's wrong with gagging people? Uh, I think there's always a problem. It shows a complete lack of transparency. If you're willing to gag people, there's a reason you're gagging them. And there's a complete, you know, lack of trust and transparency. And for a prime minister who came into power on virtues, values, and transparency, she has been found wanting so many times on matters like this. It's not funny anymore. I think she's really started to be shown up politically. She has been on the ropes a few times because her political management of situations has been found massively wanting. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a certain point of view you could take. Um, I would have to... <laughs> disagree with you on some of that certainly i mean i i think that it makes sense for a um chief exec to um ask her board not to um 
comment unnecessarily so that they can have a collective response um, when stuff like this happens. I don't think there's any evidence that it's the party's fault, that that is the Labour Party's fault, this leak. Could have come from anywhere within the government. I feel that I would argue that um, that the way that this crisis has been handled, the way that she's actually managed to manage a, ca- a cabinet which in effect has three parties um, with very different ideas, very different views, and has managed to achieve basically national consensus in terms of the handling of the crisis you know the reality is that the sensible guns within the national party have been keeping their mouths shut during this whole crisis because actually they agree with what the government's doing and they see that it's got widespread public support and it would be um, a, a mistake to, to criticize it too heavily i mean obviously there's always little things around the edges you can talk about and that's fine that's that's politics but most of them are keeping their heads down keeping their mouths shut because Actually, they know that this government's doing a pretty good job and they would just look childish if they criticised it too much. Unlike their leader, who hasn't realised that and um, has decided to make a bit of an idiot of himself. So, um, yeah, I think that leaked documents are something that happens to any government, I I think. um, And I think that any government might well take a decision that they're not going to allow individual or agree to have individual politicians and ministers spouting off about various things that are revealed through the leak. And I I imagine we will at some point see a a formal response that addresses some of the issues that are raised uh, one of the things that concerns me though and it's only one journalist so far is this call for a royal commission into the government's handling of the crisis my personal view is royal commissions are extremely expensive extremely time consuming and um, are something you do when you know that there's been a big fuck up uh, or a big cover-up and um, what i'd say to anyone who thinks a royal commission is a good idea at the moment into the handling of the crisis is wait six months if in six months more information has come to light and things have happened where we can look back and say yeah okay actually some of the decisions taken around them were questionable some of the effects it's had have been pretty serious and and maybe they haven't been followed up properly now we need a royal commission to have a look in I think Ardern got saved by the National Party um, in this crisis. Um, she had no intention of shutting borders. Peters had no intention of shutting borders. And it wasn't until the National Party had a petition of about 60,000 names in 24 hours that she shut the borders. Had she had not done that, this could have been a disaster. There's no doubt about that. And, and that's where my earlier point about confused messaging um, or confused strategies. Go hard, shut your country down, but leave the border open. You know, that's confusing. Yeah, there was definitely a bit of an unnecessary delay in closing the borders there. I was a bit surprised by that. Oh, weeks too late. You know, yeah, I yeah. think we would have had half the cases um, had we have done that. Um, people's behaviour also has to be questioned in, in certain cases as well. You know, the fact that when she announced Level 3, she announced that schools could return. Teachers complained, schools got closed. This week, you can only have 10 at a funeral. Within 24 hours, it's 50. But we can have 5,000 at a shopping centre. You can only have nine at your house. You know, it's just, I'm not surprised that people breach it because consistency is really lacking. Yeah, I, I, I again, it comes to level two, I kind of think the reality is people are just going to do what they want to do as they would have done prior to the crisis. Um, and I think, and it may may not be effect, may not prove to be effective, but I suspect that um, some of the stuff there's been said because they know that people aren't going to abide by it, but it might just be, make people think twice. So, for instance, you know, I've had a thing about this reducing the two meter rule down to a meter and a half, and then down to a meter in workplaces and so on. And I think it's ludicrous. But actually, the way it was explained to me the other day was, well, now it's more that we've kind of we know that people are going to probably breach it, and actually, you know, they're probably going to go six. They'll be you know half a meter away from each other. But actually, it might just make think people think twice before hugging and shaking hands.
hands and all that kind of physical contact which massively increases your risk of picking something up more so than having that distance so it's about trying to strike a balance between people's health around covid and other aspects of the health yeah i mean i i certainly think that i mean i thought it was a ludicrous decision to only allow 10 people at a funeral and allow 5,000 people at a shopping center that's crazy you know and and absolutely unfair the way they've changed that is is a good thing yeah i i think a lot of this is about trying to encourage people in the right direction without actually expecting them to go the whole way they're being asked to go look i think you, you know some of your points are valid there but if you know people are going to breach the two meter zone why make it half a, why make it a meter because you know that de- you know if they if they're if they're told two meters and they breach it to a meter but you tell people a meter they're going to breach it to like six inches you know it's um and i know you can't control people's distancing it's, it's physically unable to but i think when you change the messaging people you give someone an inch they take a mile right about the confused messaging about funerals and stuff the government's had two weeks of level three to think this out and they announced level two and within 24 hours, they're having to backtrack on some of the things that they're already deciding. Now, some people, the very kind people would say that, oh, they've just been empathetic, have had a rethink. I just don't think they thought in the first place. You know, they're supposed to be getting the best advice from people in the world. They, they should have had this. If you're going to make a call, and this is where Ardern's govern, governing leadership gets called into question because the message is never consistent. I think her biggest fault is she tries to appease the room that she stood in at the time you can't do that as a politician and you can't do that when you lead a nation you have to be strong you have to be consistent and you know there's all this comparison about oh well australia have done this and we've done that that's irrelevant right two different countries it's irrelevant this whole country comparison is is really difficult but at the very start scott morrison said i will not shut down manufacturing in this country it'll be economic suicide to do that now it would have been very interesting to see if australia had a hundred thousand coronavirus cases would scott morrison have stuck to that but he did all the way through he never shut it down i think with ardern her biggest failing is she tries to appease the audience she stood up in front of all the time and i think those inconsistent show in some of the things that she does and and these are just some of them right around the border around funerals around schools around you know everyone can make a mistake but you can't consistently keep changing the goalposts i don't know i i'd say that it was if if it was a mis- you know it'd be a mistake not to change when there's significant feeling among people to um encourage you to change i'd also say that you know it's all very well saying you could be a strong leader and saying um you know let's not compare ourselves to australia in the same breath as comparing ourselves to australia which is what you just did (laughs) but also you know the reality is that although scott morrison's government may be called a coalition it's not really a coalition it's two very similar parties that the best of mates that always work together whereas jacinda has got a fine balancing act between you know the greens on one end and um and who knows what they think and new zealand first on the other and who knows what they think but um you know that's actually a very broad government that that represents quite a lot of mutually exclusive tendencies and um i would argue that a lot of what seems like uncertainty is probably reflective of extremely intense backroom debate um between the three we don't have time for this now right but i think we should pick it up and and it's election year so we're going to pick it up i think Everything, I think everything you just said is exactly the reason why 
MMP shouldn't exist. Totally every reason why it shouldn't exist. And your point where about not comparing Australia but comparing them to Australia, um, Labour and the Greens will always partner. The Greens will never partner with National. So where you say, you know, the Liberal Alliance in Australia will always partner together, so will Labour and the Greens in New Zealand. There's not a chance those two parties, neither of them will never ever get enough votes to govern alone, so they will always coalition. And Winston is just just the gift that keeps giving that won't go away. Without Winston, Ardern couldn't govern. And I think one thing that she's learned is that you need to pick your friends very, very carefully because there's so many things that she's wanted to do. And because she's, well, the truth of the matter, had she not picked Winston, she wouldn't even be the Prime Minister. It's the whole reason why MMPs are an issue because you're now saying that she has to play a finely balanced game because they're such a diverse bunch. There's probably half a reason why it shouldn't exist because with having that, you actually can't govern. You, you don't govern. So, little Richard. Yeah, it's been a horrible week for music, hasn't it? Like, for me, the the two biggest... I mean, Little Richard, massive influence on Elvis, massive influence on the Beatles. You know, huge, huge name to be lost from the music scene. Definitely a sad a sad loss. But the one that's hit me harder, actually, is um, Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk. I mean, if you're talking about influential music, both of them are influential on bands that I listen to, massive influences. You know, Kraftwerk on the electronic side of things, Little Richard on the blues kind of funky soul side of things and um, there's so many bands now that actually can be traced back to both of them and for them both to go in the same week it's, uh, it's quite, a, quite a surprise really I'm, I'm a fan of electronic and synthesized music. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I have a fairly eclectic music taste, but Kraftwerk, certainly someone I remember from my younger days of just being that band that was out there. You really didn't know who they were. Their shows were renowned for being fantastic. I, when I think about the bands that I never got to see live and my biggest regret, they are absolutely in the top five of the bands that I've never been to see live. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've not seen them either. I don't recall seeing them. And I think I'd remember. Remember. You must have had a hazy 20s. <laughs> Seen a lot of bands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I agree. Florian, Florian Schneider and, and Kraftwerker were just immense um, in the development of music. You know, you look at acts like Depeche Mode, um, New Order, Pet Shop Boys, probably without Kraftwerk, um, nowhere, right? Dance music itself. They, they were just so influential to those people. Definitely. Again, haven't really got anything funny to say. It's definitely been heavy on the politics and death this week. Light on the comedy. <laughs> you can't. You can't be funny all the time, right? I guess you have to be serious again. But uh, you know what I. What you do do though is you reflect on those people with a huge amount of. Um, great memories of their music the influences and stuff like that uh you know like um we also this week or or just not long ago lost dave greenfield from the stranglers and now the stranglers were only in new zealand two months ago i'm not sure whether Daniel dave greenfield was with them or not but um, the town hall was sold out for them but you know they were a great band in the 70s and 80s you know they were a real force again that sort of post-punk movement and I look back and I go you know these people are really sad that we've lost them but they've left an amazing legacy behind them of great music and influence Stranglers are a bit kind of a bit before my time but I got into them sort of later on when they came back and their bass lines and in fact I, I learned to play bass when I was in my teens and um, learning to play bass their bass lines yeah look they were uh, they were a great band I, I don't know whether there you actually closetly were calling me old yeah I was yeah I thought I'd try and sneak that one in there <laughs> yeah my mum loves the Stranglers I'm not sure I'm the same age as your mom 
<laughs> Unless your mom had you at about six or something like that. <laughs> nah, I'm not from the West Midlands. <laughs> um, oh dear. Yeah, so sorry, uh, it's the only humour I can think of is snide humour tonight. <laughs> yeah, mate, that's what it's about. I think people want to see us punch on, right? I think. Uh, I think they do. Yeah. Oh I yeah. I, I was ready for it. I I've got so many notes about that discussion of level two. Had it have gone somewhere else, I was like. I was I was ready, you know. So, um, but um, there'll be uh, this dog will have his day another day. So, oh. when you when you thought about the first things that you were going to do at level two, do you do you think you're going to get to do them? So, yes. go, go to restaurants. Go to uh, I mean, takeaway has already been achieved. Fantastic. Yes. Bottle stores have already been achieved. Fantastic. I'm actually getting a I'm getting a new tattoo on Saturday. Cool. And they literally rang me up yesterday and said can you come in on saturday so i was like yeah go on then so are you able to reveal what and where or is that a next week what reveal i have to reveal it because it'll be quality audio i will reveal it next week because i've actually forgotten what it is i wanted um, <laughs> and so i'm hoping i'm hoping the guys put it in his drawer you know their tattooists have these little drawers of yes. their designs so I'm hoping it's in there and I'm hoping he pulls the right one out. But if he pulls one out that I like, whether it's the one, the same one or not, I'll just go for it. Mate, I hope he picks out or he goes, yeah, yeah, I know what you want. Put you down face down and put <laughs> you a massive love heart with Jane and Steve or something like that. <laughs> no, that's how did you know? That's what I wanted. <laughs> but I think your memory's outstanding. I, I can't remember if I saw craft work and I can't remember what <laughs> tattoo I was going to have. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, it's not just my 20s that were hazy. Ah, <laughs> oh, the love of an ADHD, right? That's where it's at. Um, so what are you going to be doing this week? I'm probably, um, hopefully going to get to the end of Zoom calls because they have been the biggest bane of my, well, not Zoom, Microsoft Teams calls. Oh, God, I hope when people go back to work, they stop ringing me on Microsoft Teams. I am sick to the sight of that thing. Uh, I am going to be keeping a very keen eye on tomorrow's budget. I know that sounds incredibly boring. But no, I, I will be as well. I've, I've signed up for the email. Oh, look at you go. Well, you're probably a member of the party. You'll probably get a phone call off Jacinda personally, won't you? Um, New Zealand's not that small, Darren. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, look, I'll be keeping a keen eye on that because from a business perspective of my other job, it's really important. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing when live comedy is coming back, when venues yes. are going to be opening up again, who's open, uh, who's going to be on, you know. Um, I think there's going to be massive anticipation of, of comedy for, for, for comedians in particular, of what's opening up, when's there going to be some spaces. That That's going to be something I'm going to be keeping a really keen eye on. How about yourself? Looking forward to comedy reopening, looking forward to being able to go out. Um, you know, for an introvert, I am totally chomping at the bit to get out there. Yes. <laughs> do stuff and be in a crowded bar or something like just you know even if i'm not on stage even just watching actually it's fine here's a question for you who is the budget announcement and i'm talking about political people here um who's it most important for tomorrow when that announcement comes out because i've got my view that um for somebody in particular tomorrow is going to be a very big day for them I actually think tomorrow is a massive day for Simon Bridges. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In, in, in political spheres, tomorrow uh, tomorrow is, is, is going to be massively important for him. Yeah, it'll make or break him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think make he's, him, but be a lifesaver or break him. 
I think any national government has been always more savvy than any uh, financially savvy than any Labour government. I mean, at the end of the day, capitalism was invented to rescue countries from debt after four years of socialism. So <laughs> I, um, I you think you haven't got long enough for me to respond to that. So uh, I'm just going to leave it for now. <laughs> you just you just leave that one I'm there. I'm more than happy to come back to that one, I tell you. <laughs> and, nine, uh, nine years of national. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the rock star economy that the Labour Party mm. managed to destroy before COVID. Mm. But uh, it's a huge day for him and um, and his, the way he reacts. I still think it's not going to be enough no matter how good he is, but uh, we'll see how tomorrow goes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good budget and um, the majority of people are going to feel happier and better off. And on that note, because <laughs> you haven't got time to respond. That's um, right. We'll make yeah. people better off by leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening to episode four of The Podcrastinators. Don't forget, you can find us at thepodcrastinators.com on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All music and sound effects during this episode were provided by Kid Hideous, who you can find at kidhideous.bandcamp.com. Thanks. Thanks.